welcome to a brand new season of Breaking Bread. If this is your first time hearing my voice, I'm your host, Jun, a food writer and recipe developer from the Jun and Tonic blog. And this show is all about food. Our long-time listeners will know especially well that for the past two years, we've explored food through culture, conversations, and a whole lot of curiosity. But this new year, we are trying out a new format for the show, where instead of running weekly throughout the year, we are going to be running two seasons annually, for three months each. And each season will bring a new theme. So for this first comeback season, we will be exploring the fine dining scene in Malaysia. We'll be speaking with renowned chefs throughout the country to learn about their journey, understand their cooking philosophies, and get an insider's perspective at the current state of the Malaysian food industry. My hopes with this episode is really to give more visibility to these chefs, but also personally, as a cook and recipe developer, I've always been curious about our food scene and wonder why our food, which we often claim to be one of the best cuisines in the world, isn't more well-known and more well-represented on the world's food stage. So I hope that through these conversations and interviews with them, you'll join me in gaining a better appreciation for the people raising the standards of dining in Malaysia. And together, hopefully, we can put Malaysia on the world's stage. So to kick us off this week, we have Chef Jun Wong from Kikubari, a restaurant serving progressive Japanese cuisine. We'll hear about her story, find out where she draws inspiration from for her dishes, and talk about the mindset shifts that need to happen for Malaysia's food scene to truly thrive. So without further ado, here's Chef Jun Wong. Hi, Chef Jun. Welcome onto the show. Hi, Jun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And yeah, so first, I thought we could begin by first uh, understanding a bit about you and your restaurant Kikubari. For the benefit of those who who don't know or haven't heard of your restaurant as well, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, Kikubari is a progressive Japanese restaurant. So um, we want to take the philosophy of Japanese cuisine and incorporate that into just in everything that we do, uh, not just translate through the dishes, but just our conduct and the way we handle ingredients and food and also serve customers in general, uh, but also taking it in a progressive manner where we're constantly evolving, constantly changing according to society, not so much trends, but society needs and social consciousness in that sense. So maybe getting it more current and in tune with what people need and want nowadays. So that's the progressive element of it. But all done in a very casual, shared plate style. We want to encourage a dining culture in the country as well, not intimidating. We don't want to have, like, it's either you go fine dining or street side. We think there's a lot of room for this mid-tier kind of casual dining experience. So that's what Kikubari is about, ultimately. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And so Kikubari has been open for, for quite a few years now. But before opening this restaurant, you actually worked in many different places, many different countries. Can you tell us a bit about the places that you've worked at and how those experiences informed or maybe molded how you run your restaurant today? Um. Yeah, sure. So I think I've been away for more or less a decade in terms of uh, my career. So working abroad in at least three or four cities does open your eyes and helps put into context the different cultures and um, 
different spending or dining patterns of different different customers and guests. So that helps me understand and open my eyes to makes it easier. And it's also a learning moment for me to to understand why is it that certain guests dine that way? Why is it that maybe shared plates is more um, accepted slowly? So, uh, and it's very different from culture to culture as well. Because, for example, I've worked in mainly um, very Asian cities like Hong Kong and uh, Macau. Even from that Asian to Asian city, one Asian to another Asian city, like Hong Kong and Macau, to versus Tokyo, entirely different mm. mindset. Uh, the dining culture in Tokyo is that they appreciate what they pay for, and um, they, in fact, they're not allowed to give a tip. It's rude if you leave a tip in the mm. restaurant, no matter how good the service is. They actually run after you to return you the tip. Right? Money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what a really eye-opening experience for me, both from the perspective of a diner and uh, uh, in the industry. And then mm. on the other hand, in uh, Australia, it's like you're out there to provide your best service and create the best experience and make all the customers feel welcome. And at the same time, as a guest, if you really enjoy that and you appreciate that, not so much you're expected, but just out of your own initiative, you, you, you're really just compelled and you want to give that tip because they deserve that. So it's kind of really different in that, that sense. Yeah, yeah. So the dining cultures are, are really different. But I guess like looking at Kikubari now, the fact that you are doing kind of Japanese cuisine, um, so does it then mean that, you know, out of all your previous experiences, it was the one in Narisawa in, in Tokyo that um, you were most drawn to, like that that sort of cuisine and, and, and flavor profile. And that's why you, you started a Japanese place. I think... Um... Ironically, Narisawa was not the place I learned most about Japanese cuisine because Narisawa is ultimately a French restaurant. But I think it's really throughout the years of me working under Japanese chefs. And also, Narisawa's stint was more like actually living in Tokyo itself that helped me understand that, that deep culture and the discipline that transcends throughout everything they do. Mm. So I think... And everything in Japanese culture is about deep understanding. It's not just the surface level. You know, for example, a sushi chef trains for years for every step of the way, different skill, just in washing rice and cooking rice and getting to clean the fish until ultimately they get to slice the fish. Mm. Every step of the way requires deep understanding. Although I'm not trained in that way, in a, like, for example, skilled in sushi making, but it just transcends that discipline. And living in Tokyo really just shows and opens my eye so much more to understanding how that discipline transcends into everything they do, their daily life, deep understanding. So that's what I brought from my past experiences into Kikubari in terms of our care and our attention to detail into everything we do. And flavor profiles is just also like, of course, living in Tokyo helped and eating in I mean, the convenience store food is really just that good. Um, mm. And those flavors and home-cooked meals and actually a lot of Japanese families, they cook Western food at home. If you know, they actually, uh, a lot of Japanese moms like to cook pasta for their kids and put it in a bento set and bring them to school. So 
really they don't eat that much sushi and sashimi uh, all the time, as opposed to what people think. So it's just that. So the the funny thing is, you realize that the kind of food that we serve in Kikubari, a Japanese guest would walk in and they would be entirely familiar with the flavors. Like, oh, this just reminds me of like what I used to make for my kid or what my mom used to make for me, or these kind、mm. of flavor profiles. But then to a diner that is maybe a little bit less exposed to the other、uh, facade of Japanese culture, would be expecting the the ones that you the that you know, like sashimi and sushi and all that. And if they see it presented in a different way, or even just not that dish itself, it's kind of foreign to them. But we wanna we wanna slowly make it fun and. Less intimidating for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, it's really kind of touching to to hear of your experience with you know your Japanese guests coming in and and saying like oh these familiars are so like familiar to us and yeah I was thinking as well could you tell us about a dish that perhaps you have in your current menu or even one of your past dishes that you made、um, that really exemplifies your your restaurant.、Mm. I think maybe I have to break this in two parts. So, the one that really represents Kikubari in terms of cuisine would be one of our signature dishes called the Mentaiko Toast.、Uh, so it's like this toast bread、uh, that's similar to our roti baka.、Mm. So we toast the bread, just some fluffy white bread, and on top of that. We would put some、uh, cucumbers, onions,、uh, Japanese cubey mayonnaise, and、uh, spicy cod roe, which is、mm. kind of like a staple、um, favorite in in Japanese food. So we would pipe that cod roe and a little a nicely poached onsen egg that kind of like just breaks and and flows across the the toast, and it's really an ugly mess. You 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 just. <laughs> But it's so tasty in that sense. But it's really ugly, and、uh, but it's kind of funny to see that dish when it's presented. It's really neatly presented, and once they break the egg, it's just a mess. And then, but then the moment they put it in their mouth, it's like, oh wow, there's like so many flavors and texture. And、mm. that's one thing that is super familiar to Japanese guests in terms of they recognize all the flavors. But the form that is presented is actually not foreign to Malaysian diners as well, because it's almost like if I would use Malay to explain it, it's almost like roti baka cicatelo. So you would <laughs> have that soft boiled egg, and you know, in breakfast, you would just break those runny yolks and then you dip the toasted bread into it like a sauce. So it's almost like that.、Um, so that's、uh, that makes it ours. The best way to describe. Kikubari, in that sense.、Mm. Uh, then the other dish that probably represents Kikubari really well in another way is how we try to use、uh, incorporate the Japanese discipline of、uh, minimalism and reducing wastage and just、uh, simplicity. It's、mm. like our another one of our signature dishes, which is our ebi katsu sandwich. Uh, Ebi katsu sando. So I'm actually wearing the T-shirt, but you can't see it now. Oh, I can see part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so,、um, how the sando, the sandwich, came about is actually we had this signature dish that we actually sell 
the fried prawn heads really well. So it sells so much of the prawn heads that we can't be throwing the the meat away. Uh, as as opposed to most restaurants, we'd be using the prawn meat and discarding. Yeah, exactly. But our heads sold really well, so we had to find some way to use the meat. And of course, we would get really tired of eating prawns if we kept using it for staff meal. <laughs> so we minced the prawns into a patty. And it's also inspired by like the Japanese and McDonald's. They have this Eddie burger. Right. And the prawn burger is amazing. I know it's from McDonald's, but it is amazing. So I wanted to create my version of the McDonald's, which they would call it Makudonarudo. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. <laughs> so that's the Makudonarudo Eddie burger. And I try to recreate that and make the prawns into a patty. And then it turned out to be a, a top seller as well. So we have our prawn hits, it's a top seller. And then the prawn patty sandwich, the ebikatsu sando, that's a top seller as well. So uh, simple, no fuss, non, not really fancy dish, but just simple, familiar flavors with wasabi mayo and things like that. So right, it's, yeah. it's just fun. We try to not make food too serious and intimidating to people. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I can see from, from those two examples alone, like this kind of the phrase that you use on, on your website and, and I guess to describe your restaurant as well, you go by kind of the principles of understanding and respect and restraint, right? And in this sense, you can definitely see that, you know, you understand kind of like Japanese culture and you're really respecting their, their food and their culture and, and also like taking inspiration from them. And I love the the example of like the McDonald's uh, prawn burger. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was inspired by that. But when I saw it on the menu, it's like, wow, this sounds like really good on paper already. And the fact that, you know, it's inspired by such a humble dish truly brings it to the next level. Before we continue our conversation, we are going to take a quick break. Stay with us. You're listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Breaking Bread. Let's pick up where we left off. I've been speaking with Chef Jun Wong from Kikubari Restaurant. We've been talking about how her restaurant came about as a culmination of her previous experiences, but now we're turning our focus to the Malaysian fine dining food scene. So I thought we could kind of shift our conversation to what this season of Breaking Bread is about, which is talking about the Malaysian uh, food scene, Malaysian food industry. Just as a whole, what are your kind of thoughts on the Malaysian food and dining scene, uh, especially on the the higher end of the spectrum? How have you seen it like grown over the past few years since you started uh, Kikubari? There definitely has been positive growth. And... um... Despite everything that's happened in these past two years, I think there is something good that came out of it because, I mean, due to the, the you know, inability to travel for most uh, Malaysians, but, you know, it's not just Malaysians. It's it's just bad in general. When people travel, they they actually okay to spend more. When they're on a holiday mood, they're just generally, you know, not so price sensitive. But when they're back in their own home country so this is just not limited to malaysians alone but 
we'll talk about Malaysians. So um, they generally do not spend that much compared to other diners in the larger cities close by in the region, like Singapore, Hong Kong, or Sydney, or I mean Australia in that sense, uh, even mm. Thailand. So um, dining is not so much a culture yet for the vast majority of Malaysians. They they see dining out as an occasion a lot of the times. Um, it's someone's birthday, uh, like Christmas or uh, Valentine's Day or, or some anniversary. So it becomes not such a normal thing for them. But slowly, because these past two years, the ones that have maybe a bit more uh, spending power or do have a habit of dining out are kind of cooped up here. And you see them slowly accepting dining out here as a norm. And it's good and bad. So the good that we take away from these two years is that we get people who are just willing to open up and understand our restaurants a bit more and the industry and be just a little bit more um, open and try to, to communicate and understand with the flip side of the industry. Uh, so that's, that's a positive growth. But even before the pandemic, uh, I'm probably, I've been back here about four years. Uh, so I did see such a huge change when I left the country. Um, when I left the country, I was like just a very junior position in the kitchen. I was just like a mid-tier, like a demi-chef or a chef de partie, not even a sous-chef yet. But I went abroad, came back, I'm like in a different kind of, context and a different kind of mindset and i do see such positive growth in terms of the cuisine and the community everyone's so supportive like i mean you would think like chefs of different restaurants they would have that competitive nature but no i mean just to see that tight community that tight-knit community i was a bit worried coming back that i'll be quite alone as a someone who doesn't really have a lot of friends in the industry because I've been away for so long. And, but, you know, that welcoming support from each other, they even share information. And if we're like short of ingredient and someone needs something urgently, we just put something out in the group chat and we'll be like, does anyone have like surplus of this? And just people, whoever can help, they're rushing to help. Mm. And I think that's a very healthy competition and everyone's just supporting each other to grow together as a whole and elevate the industry as a whole. Because if you're just good on your own, it's very hard to continue growing. And uh, I think that's that's so positive. And I was yeah. so encouraged by that. Yeah, yeah. It's really encouraging to hear like, you know, there's this whole very collaborative spirit going on, at least within the, within the industry itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking from an outsider's perspective almost to the food industry right when you look at where malaysia stands on the kind of international food scene it, it often seems like we are kind of behind a lot of our neighboring countries and in like the whole top 50 top 100 list even the asia ones we are not very well represented in in those lists right why do you think that is um and and i know this year we had two restaurants, uh, Dewakan and Enken in like the top um, top Asia's top well. 100 list, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Naduri as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Three. Yeah. So there were three restaurants in 
top 100, which is an improvement, but seems like we are growing at a very slow pace. Do you have any thoughts as to like why that is? Huh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we are. I mean, you've just like hit the nail on the head and uh, I'll buy it being positive and we are moving in the right direction instead of sliding backwards. We are moving at a kind of really slow pace compared to everywhere else. Mm. I think there's like a lot of factors. There's never like one reason or a, a, a one part to blame. So I think a, a lot a lot of people play uh, an important part in that. So firstly, the government. Uh, I know like I'm just going to like drop the bomb here. And uh, <laughs> firstly, the government... Um, you know, the agriculture industry is uh, growing. You see a lot of farms and small farmers growing heirloom vegetables here and all that. But it's just hard for them as well. Like, there's a lot of people who want to do things, but they start off with so much passion and they get discouraged along the way because just the, the support and the funding and the tools and the things that help them and assist them to grow their business is not there. And being in a dining, I mean, being in the industry is not is an entire supply chain. It's not just the chefs to the to the dishes to the customers, but it starts from the produce itself as well and the supply chain. So to get that, the ingredients, the agriculture, local agriculture, technology and funding, the support is really just making it tough for people wanting to do more. And then you have even let's say even imported ingredients when it comes to that just the logistics and the the ease of getting sourcing ingredients from different places you think in what 2021 now it should be getting easier but sometimes it feels like it's getting harder and harder there's so much approval that's needed so many layers of red tape and just having to pass through authorizations here and there cert it's just to order one piece of wagyu i need like maybe five certifications oh, from wow. to get it from japan all the way to here in my kitchen so it's really not making it easier so like that support has to come from somewhere as well mm. so it has to like you know you want us to thrive but you're not making it easier for us and i i'm sorry but that's just a little bit ridiculous so yeah so that's that's just like something that i feel like it's ridiculously easy and stupid simple to change but it's not done like policies can be changed overnight you know but mindset can't be so that's just simple stupid you know like you think it's really obvious, but it's not. So that's one one thing that's really frustrating because it's something that could really help propel us to the next level, but it's not. And then we'll we'll talk about like maybe tourism as well, because the other cities are thriving and booming because like take Singapore example because they're just closest to us. Their mm -hmm. tourism board is like if they could win an award for marketing agency of the year, they would because they spend so much and they're really good at what they do. You can call it branding or marketing, whatever, but they are doing a good job. They're smashing it out there just to put Singapore on the map, on the food map, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, 
here we've we often feel like operators are on their own mm. if someone wanted to come here to dine in the restaurant they had to already know about us and then so that's one aspect and then uh then we're moving on to another facade which is um our own mindsets so i i'll just put ourselves in as well for being partly to blame is that I think we're at a mindset that we want to pander to our customers as well. I mean, some some people are doing a great job at, you know, just being themselves. Like Darren from Dewakan, for example, he's just like, you know what, I'm not pandering to them. I'll do whatever I want. And then because you come here to experience my food and not come here to experience me cooking food the way you want it right so right. so we we need to have like a little bit of a spine and a backbone and also um, but the entire experience comes from the whole package it's not just about the food but service as well while we are to blame for not giving really tip-top service compared to so many other countries um which is something that I don't really understand because we're known, Malaysians, we're known for being warm, genuine, mm. like really from the heart, like genuinely warm. And this is not something that we needed to pretend, but we just need to take it to the next level where we're not putting ourselves in a mindset where we are serving customers, but more like, hey, this is our restaurant and we are the host and you are the guest. Mm. You come here and we serve you like how we would serve our friends if they're coming to our house. So this is our ground. This is our home ground. You're a visitor. We treat you with respect and we expect you to treat us with respect as well. But we hold our ground and we give you the warmest service in the sense that we are level. We're not lower or higher than you, but you're not lower and high or higher than us as well. We're just pure serving each other gentlemen serving gentlemen uh, at the same level. So the respect has to be mutual. So while in saying this, then the customer aspect of it is the same. So, you know, uh, that dining etiquette, you want the entire industry to improve. It just can't be coming from the um, industry itself, like people who work in the industry. From the patrons, The this is where I would say the customer and the guest part of it is that it has to come from them they and they have to get that give that support as well i'll say that there have been really wonderful customers here and diners and they're just really really good uh but then you have a lot of them who are i wouldn't say not exposed but just that the the learning curve is really steep and we are like you said years behind in terms of being exposed and understanding about dining culture. Um, so for example, I'll just take the easiest example, um, food allergies. So in Australia, if a guest made a reservation, and by the way, they would always make their own reservations online and not expect someone to make it for them because you do your own job. You, you go and Google search when the restaurant is open and you make a reservation on your own. And they would put in their dietary requirements. And if they somehow forget to mention that they're allergic to a specific item, they then this is true, sorry. And they would actually apologize upon, 
you know, maybe when they're taking uh, the servers, taking orders, they would actually uh, apologize. Like, I'm so sorry, I didn't uh, inform you guys. I'm actually allergic to this. But if you could pull something out uh, just last minute, that would be great. But if you can't uh, totally understand, because it's my fault that I didn't inform you guys in advance, mm. totally different here. Here is like, they ask you during reservation, five million times if there's some allergy that might kill you and they just somehow they it skipped their mind that they might die if they eat this and when they're they're in the restaurant they will be like oh no i can't take this and you know they just you know totally not even you know repentant about it at all mm, yeah speaking of that as well i think that is just a general mindset here that I guess very old school way of thinking where, oh, well, the customer is always right, right? Yeah. So if I want anything, the service staff, the restaurant that I go to, or it doesn't even have to be a restaurant, but like I should be served in a, in a certain way. Whereas the, like you, you were giving the example of like in Australia. Yeah, I, I guess it's the big distinction between like service and, and hospitality, right? It's almost like, okay, you're going to, to someone's home. And so if you were to go to like your friend's house, you would also tell them uh, beforehand if, if you could. But if you forget, then it's kind of like on you, right? And that attitude itself, yeah, you rightly pointed out that it's quite lacking here in in malaysia and probably also a lot of other places but since i mean that this is the industry that we know this is the country that we know like it is uh one of the biggest hurdles i, I would i would agree with you as well mm. and yeah I, I i love that you know you mentioned many different factors and many different facets that actually contribute to our slow growth in the food industry um, but if there was one thing that you could say or a message that you could leave the general Malaysian public, what what would you say to them to rally the troops or, or kind of give us inspiration or hope to, to drive our food industry forward? Well, if, if I could end this on a positive note and uh, hope, there is definitely hope because I mean, the, the bond within the community is so strong. And like I said, there are wonderful customers who just make it worthwhile end of the, uh, a 14 16 hour work day you're tired and sometimes you just get one feedback from a customer that's really genuine and they've really enjoyed it so much and they thank you for like a great experience mm. just knowing that your effort has been appreciated by someone anyone it just is worthwhile for all the other things that have gone unnoticed and um and also, like I said, the support within the community and there have been people who are doing amazing things and they are just slaving away to try and help the entire industry grow. Mm. Uh, and sometimes their efforts are just not acknowledged and appreciated, but they still tirelessly go at it and pound at it uh, day in, day out. And um, that gives us hope that, you know, I think Malaysians, if there's one thing in general, we can say that we're actually really a resilient bunch. So, I mean, it's like while we're not at the top, it's really hard to just put us down as well. So I think that's that's positive in that in, in yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, that's a hopeful message. And uh, on your previous point as well, for, for the listeners uh, listening to, to this show, the next time you have like a really good meal or enjoy a particular dinner that you have, give 
appreciation to your chefs, the restaurant uh, that you go to, any of the staff people there, and yeah, just say thank you to them. It's really t- doesn't have to be so serious as well. Like you know, I mean, I had literally one guest just come and say to me, like he was like holding my hand and, and like, chef. Thank you for being alive. And it was so funny, you know? Was, you know, just I thought it was hilarious, but you know, small little pockets mm-hmm. of joy like that just makes your day. Yeah, yeah. Like you said before, right? Like we are such a a warm uh, society. Like we should extend it to the whole food and beverage industry as well. Mm. And yeah, just finally to end uh, this conversation, uh, where can people find you and and find out about anything you're doing in the in the upcoming months? Right, you can always find us uh, on our website for more information, which is www.kikubarukl.com. And then the physical restaurant is located in uh, DC Mall, level three of DC Mall, Damansara Heights. So. Um, if you ever get lost, just Google us. We're, we're there, and we're on all the social media platforms as well. So just search for Kikubari, and uh, maybe the first one will pop up. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much again for your time today, uh, Chef Jun. Thank you. Thanks. That is all for this week's show. To listen to more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or on the BFM app. And if you're hungry for more food news and fun recipes, you can keep up to date with me on Instagram. I'm at junandtonic, that's J-U-N dot A-N-D dot T-O-N-I-C. This is Jun signing off. You've been listening to Breaking Bread on BFM 89.9.